God being preached about on a Sunday morning, but God really working in each and every one of our lives all throughout the week. Okay, so I'm going to be continuing our series uh, in the Gospel of John, looking at the miracles of Jesus. And for those of you who are keeping count, will know that we're on to up to miracle three in the series. And it's in John's Gospel, chapter five. So if you want to turn there, we're going to read it in a minute. Now, for those who... Um, there are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And you'll notice that if you read the other Gospels, there are a lot more than seven. Is that Some of them talk about lots of miracles that Jesus did, but John just focuses on seven of them. And the reason why John doesn't talk about loads of other miracles is that when he talks about the miracles of Jesus, he is using it to show something about who Jesus really is and that he is the Son of God and he's come to do some amazing things. And so... When we look at these, these, story, these miracles in, the, in John's Gospel, we have to appreciate that John's, that John's not just telling us about a miracle, but he's giving it there for a reason, to help demonstrate something about Jesus. And so in this story, it's quite a classic miracle, really, that Jesus comes along and he heals somebody. Um, and that's basically, that's the sort of the main part of the story. So we're going we're to look in at really why uh, Jesus does this and what he wants to say. And so what we're going to do, we're going to read through the whole of the passage. It's, it's verses 1 uh, to 15. And then we're going to come back and we're going to go through each verse and we're going to look at it in a bit more detail and, and look at what is John trying to show about Jesus here. But what I'm going to do to start with, I'm going to give you my conclusion. And so if you're feeling a bit sleepy this morning, you drift off, don't worry, you won't miss, um, you won't miss the end. And uh, my conclusion um, about what Jesus wants to share with us this morning, is that he wants to come and deal with us on the inside. He wants to come and get us right, and we've, um, what Pete shared about, about God's righteousness. It's God wants to come and get us so that we're right with him this morning. And it's interesting, Pat used a phrase that I'm going I'm to say as well, and that's that God wants to come and do business with you this morning. And so there's going to be an opportunity at the end where we can come or we can respond to God, or we can do business. Because God wants us to come and get right with him. And he wants to come and deal with us over, over our sin, over the obstacles in our life, the things that we are struggling with. Jesus wants to come and take, take them and come and work in us and work through us in order that we can be people who are blameless before his throne. And that one, the truth is, is that one day all of us are going to stand before Jesus and be judged. He says in the Bible, every single human that's ever existed will stand before Jesus and be judged. And there's only going to be two outcomes. We're either going to be welcomed with open arms and join him in heaven, or we're not. We're going to have to go to hell. And so Jesus wants for us this morning to have life and to, to be blameless before him. Uh, but to do that, we need to get right with God. And so this morning, there's going to be that opportunity to do that. Okay. That's my conclusion. Now we're going to look at this passage to uh, have a look at, look at this in more detail and see how we get to, get to uh, that conclusion. So hopefully you've all got your Bibles open in John's Gospel, chapter 5. Okay. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida, 
Bethesda. I can't pronounce words. Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame or paralysed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for, for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. So as I said, on the front of this, it looks like a straightforward Jesus miracle. He comes, he spots somebody who's quite, bad, who's quite ill, and he comes and he heals them and restores them. And at the end of it, the Pharisees get upset because it happened on the Sabbath. And Jesus then, and the rest of uh, chapter 5, is Jesus talks to the, the Jewish leaders and explains who he is. And so on the front of it, it just looks like that straightforward miracle. But John is using this, um, this story to show us about who Jesus is and what he wants to do. It's just like with this man. Jesus wanted to deal with him on the inside. Jesus wanted to come and get it, make him right, uh, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And it also shows us the power and authority that Jesus had in doing this miracle. Okay. So let's go through this then. So if we turn back to verse 1. So yeah, my Bible's half, it splits halfway through, so I'll be turning my page all the time. <laughs> okay, so starting off. That afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish, Jewish holy days. Okay. Now, Jews, I think, I believe, have three big, festi- big, uh, holy, uh, um, big festivals that they come and celebrate. And so you've got to imagine Jerusalem would be absolutely crowded with full of people. Because part of the Jewish um, religion is that you had to come to the temple. And so everybody would have gathered there for this festival, for this holy um, but these holy days. And so it'd be completely crowded, and there'd be loads and loads of people there. It'd be sort of swarming with people. Just imagine Oxford Circus the week before Christmas. And if you've ever shopped there, you're a fool. But if you ever go there and you see how busy it is for all the people, that, you've got to imagine that's what Jerusalem would be like, just a hustle and bustle all happening. And so it's this big loads and loads of people all around Jerusalem. Now inside the city, there's, um, near the Sheep Gate was the pool of... I can't say it, sorry. Bethesda. Now, Aaron in a minute is going to put a picture up at this place. And so it's located there, and it had five covered porches. Um, and one thing to say about the Sheep Gate, now again, I'm not a, a, a Jerusalem gate expert, but um, I believe the Sheep Gate was the, the place they used to bring the, all the animals into the temple for sacrifice. So it would have been a really busy road. There would be lots of merchants on there selling things and, and lots of people there congregating. Okay. So I've got a picture. Now, this is a reconstruction of old Jerusalem. 
Now, believe this bit here, up here, is the temple where everybody was worshipped. And here is the pools of Bethsaida. Okay. <laughs> oh, I said it right. Okay, I'm just going to go, yeah. Okay, and then what you've got, you've actually got two pools here, and you've got these five arches, so it's like a figure of, um, like a figure of eight, um, and they're all covered. Okay, obviously there's no one, no one there in that picture. Um, now, in this place, it says that people congregated there, and the people who, who went there were the, the sick people, the people who were blind, lame, and paralysed, and they lay on these porches, but in this pool. Now, why did they do that? Now, um, first of all, it would have been a really good place to go. Because certainly Israel, and I'm sure Aaron would testify to this, is that it's quite hot there, I believe. And so it had been out in the hot um, of the day, and if you're a lame person or you're struggling to, you've got a struggle with mobility, the best place to be would be somewhere where there's lots of cover, there's some places, some pools to go that you can go and get refreshed because you can't easily move around. And so obviously this is where they, they congregated I believe for one of those reasons. Also, because you've got the sheep gate and all these merchants and people walking past, it would be a great place to beg because there are loads of people walking past and you can sit there. And this is the only way these people who were lame would have been able to make any money. And so they would have... Um, that's another reason why they, they went there. Um, there was also another reason. Now, depends on what version of the Bible you have. You might have noticed something when I read out the passage is that actually I missed out verses, um, the second half of verse 3 and the whole of verse 4. Um, now, some Bibles have it in, some don't. Um, and what the reason is, is that apparently, uh, because in the very most ancient manuscripts of, the new, of John's Gospel, it doesn't have that, that bit in. But it was added in a bit later to give a bit of context to, the, to this, um, what was happening. And, and if, you, um, if it's not in your Bible, don't worry, it'll be down the bottom somewhere. And it says this, so obviously uh, the crowds of sick people lay on the porches, waiting for a certain movement of water, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease they had. And so this is probably the main reason they were there, is that there was this hope for these people who had no other means of getting better, is that maybe uh, some, uh, randomly now and again the waters would stir up and the first person in was healed. And so these people, one of the reasons why they congregated there was for that bit of hope of maybe possibly getting better. Okay, thanks Aaron, you can get it down. Okay, so in this story, you have a man there that has been there for 38 years. Now I'm only 31 years old, so I've not even been alive for 38 years. And so it's a long time. And even for most of us, uh, or for a, when you work a career, you normally work for about 40-odd years, don't you? So this man, almost just his whole entire life, had been ill and had been uh, lame uh, and sick. Um, and he'd been stuck there. And so he, so he wouldn't have had really much of a life. He wouldn't have had a family. He wouldn't have had a job. He wouldn't have had a career, a trade, or anything like that. He wouldn't have had any responsibility. Just his life would have been stuck around this pool um, begging for money. Now, this is where Jesus turns up. And you've got to realise that this place, and I don't know how many, people, how many sick people would have congregated there, but I imagine there probably would have been over 100, possibly a lot more. Um, and as I said, Jerusalem would have been absolutely crowded with people. Now, Jesus turns up at this place, um, at this pool. Now, you would think maybe um, Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and he was quite well known in the north of the country, 
um, and doing all his miracles, and people really liked him there. But in Jerusalem, he was a bit, people didn't really like him that much. And now you thought, this would be the perfect opportunity to go to this place and say, hey guys, I'm this Jesus you've heard lots of people talking about. I've come to heal you today. And you could go around and just lay hands on everybody and just heal all those sick people there. Um, and come and announce himself to Jerusalem to show, look, that he's a guy that has this power, this authority to do all these amazing things. But he doesn't. He just turns up in the crowd as a complete stranger. Um, and it says that he saw this man. He saw this man and he knew about him. This is what you've got to realise about Jesus, that he sees us. He doesn't just see a big crowd this morning, like I, when I look out and I see lots of you all sitting around, I might lay my eyes on one of you for a minute to, just to embarrass you. But Jesus comes and he sees every single one of us. And he, and he says... Um, in the Bible, that he knows us, that he knows how many hairs we have on our head. He knows what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're going through, even the things that we don't share, even with our partners or the people that we, we trusted. He knows what we're going through, the sins that we're struggling with, what we're fighting um, with God over. He knows everything about us and he sees us. And that's this morning. You can't get away from it. God is looking at you this morning. And so he sees this man, he knows that he's been ill for a very long time. And he asks him a question. Would you like to get well? Now what a stupid question to ask him. You think about it. Of course, if, someone, if you were really poorly and someone said to you, would you like to get better? Of course you'd say yes. Now, um, I know, uh, most of you know, I've, I've got um, colitis. And a couple of years ago, I was really quite poorly and do you know what? If someone had said to me, would you like to get well? Would you like to get better? I'd have said, yes, of course I would. Come on, what could you do for me? And in fact, I don't think anyone actually ever asked me that question because I think it would have been quite obvious that I'd want to, to get better. But Jesus asked him this question. But of course, when you think about it a little bit more, actually, it's quite easy, isn't it, when we're in situations and someone says, would you like to, would, Jesus says, would you like this situation to change? And you think, wow, I quite like this. I quite like where I am right now, this is my, this is my life, this is what I'm struggling with, it's, I, like, I like doing that, because sometimes, sometimes we don't want to change, we like being stuck where we are, um, and bear in mind, this man's life, he wouldn't have had a life, um, and almost, he would have all, all he'd ever known, I mean, 38 years is such a long time, he might not have, he probably only vaguely remembered what life was like before he was unwell, and sometimes, do you, we, we don't want to change when Jesus offers this, this opportunity. We like being who we are and like our situation as it is. But so Jesus asks, asks him this question, would you like to get well? So what, how does he answer? Does he say yes? Does he say no? No. What does he do? He gives an excuse for why he's not better. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, oh yes, Jesus, or, or sorry, oh yes, please, or, or no. Um, he gives an excuse for why, he's like, why his situation is like it is. He says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me in the pool where the water bubbles. Someone else always there gets there ahead of me. See, I've got no friends to help me. When that water happens, I can't got anyone to lift me up. Um, I can't move very easily. I've got no friends. And, and also, I, I imagine he's probably thinking, I've been here for 38 years, and all these people who thought there'd be a bit of respect here, and they, that I've been here for the longest, probably, I deserve my chance to get in. So he gives all these excuses about to why he's not better. And us, us humans, we like to give excuses, don't we? 
We do love a good excuse, a good reason of why something has or hasn't happened. Um, now, I think most of you know my, uh, one of my brother-in-law, Stephen, who's a slightly irresponsible 20, 21-year-old. Uh, anyway, he uh, got caught speeding. And, um, yeah, and anyway, he got a letter and it said, well, you can either take three points on your license or you can go to a speed awareness course. And, um, and then he chose to go on the, the course and save himself having the, the points. And he said this, when he went on this course, the first thing they had to do was to go around and say why they were there on that day, what they'd done, what offence they'd done. And he said, there were loads of people there, and they, they gave all these reasons and excuses for why they should or shouldn't be there. And you can imagine what they'd say, I was running really late that day, I had a really important thing to get to, or um, there was, I was only one mile an hour over the speed limit, it's not fair. You can imagine what all the things they would say. Uh, and he, when it came to his turn, he was a bit honest and just said, well... I like driving, I like going fast, and I got caught. But we've all done it, haven't we? We've all come up with excuses of why something doesn't happen, or why something can't change, why we can't, the sin won't go away. Um, you know, and, the, and the thing that God wants us to do, why we can't do that, why it's too difficult, why it's too hard, why we, we can't, don't have the capability to do that, don't we? We've all, I know I've done it, give excuses, give really good reasons of why we can't change. But you notice, Jesus wasn't interested in his excuses. He just almost ignored him. And he comes straight to the issues. He doesn't put his arm around this guy and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I've, oh, don't worry about it, mate. I, just, oh, yeah, I, I understand. He doesn't pity him and say, oh, poor you, sat there and for so long. Oh, if only you had some friends. There was, there was this great time where there's this guy who was lame. And he had four great friends. And do you know what? They wanted to get him healed, but the place was so packed that what they did, they destroyed someone's roof just so they could get him to me. If only you had four great friends like that, you'd be all right, wouldn't you? He doesn't do any of that. He ignores him and just comes and deals straight with the issue. And he commands this man to, to, um, commands this man to rise up, so to stand up, pick up his mat and walk. And of course, what happens when Jesus commands it? He's shown his power and authority. It says, instantly, the man was healed. And he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But just think about this for a minute. That man just wasn't healed of his sickness. His body was restored. And that if you... Um, and that Jesus didn't say, oh, your sickness is... is what, like you're healed now. Off you go. Go and have your physiotherapy to... to um, I can't say that word, basically get better, that he, <laughs> that's it, that he said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And so just think about this, that um, this man's body, his bones, his muscles would have been completely withered and all gone really unnatural. Um, if you want to know about how to build up your muscles, go and talk to Simon, he'll tell you all the best ways to pump the iron and build up your muscles. But one of the things I'm sure he'll tell you is that if you don't use your muscles or you build them up and stop using them, is they'll start to wither away. Now, who here has broken their leg or their arm and it's been in a cast? And then when you take the cast off, you look at your arm, you look at your leg and you think, oh, what's happened to that? It's all shriveled up. Um, I said, no, when I was ill, when I was, um, uh, after I was starting to get better, the thing that took the longest to, to, for my, for, to get restored were my muscles in my legs. Um, I kept telling her, oh, my legs are really aching, my muscles are aching, because muscles take time to heal and to restore, but this man didn't. 
Jesus commanded him, and he got up and he walked. And just you think about that. He said he's all probably crippled, and, and the bones are all decayed, and the muscles all gone. And yet he gets up, and his body's restored, and he has that strength to walk around. There's a real testament of God's power and God's glory that Jesus did that. But, if we read on, this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Oh dear, it happened on the Sabbath. You see, God had made a law about, or God had created the Sabbath right at the very beginning of time. They said God created the, the, the heaven and the earth. On the seventh day, he rested. And God had made this, this day that we're to come and to use it for resting, to come and to um, use it to come and reflect, to focus and to come and worship God. And Jesus, uh, so God had made this, had made this law, also made, this, made the Sabbath for us to come and do that. But what the, the Jewish leaders had done over many centuries, they had added to God's law. So it started off, I know, it's about two, 200-ish, 200-plus laws that God had given Moses. And over time, the Jewish people had, had added to them. And I won't go into... Um, the detail about it. But really, so you end up with a situation on the Sabbath, rather than having the one law that says um, it's the Lord's Day and you should for rest, is that they'd added lots of different caveats on about what the Sabbath should entail. And so, what you've got to imagine this man getting up on his mat and walking around, is that he would have stuck out like a sore thumb in Jerusalem. It had been a crowded place, but what you wouldn't have seen on, this, on the Sabbath is all the carts, all the merchants, uh, all the animals, all people walking around selling things. It's everybody would have been there and just gone to the temple. That would have been their, their day of walking around. They wouldn't have done any work or anything like that. But there was this man walking around with his mat. And it's like us walking through always in the high street completely butt naked. You'd get quite a lot of attention and people would look at you and probably think you're a little bit weird. But so this man, he, he stuck out. And, and the Pharisees, they had a big problem with this. Because one, um, one, one of the things they'd added to the Sabbath, that you shouldn't be carrying your mats, you shouldn't be carrying anything or holding anything on, uh, on the Sabbath day. And they had a big go at him. And you see, this is the complete opposite of Jesus, these people. is All they cared about was some pernickety rule somewhere. And that Jesus cared about this man, though. And they didn't want to come and say, wow, look, this man who'd been ill for so long is, 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 he- is healed. Glory to God. They just cared that he was doing this one little thing that they didn't think he should be doing. And so if we sort of read on in um, so verses 10 to 12. And they start arguing with this man and say, who, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. You see... Um, yeah, so who said such a thing as this, they demanded. Demanded, no, for Jesus disappeared in the crowd. See, Jesus had just come up to him as a stranger, hadn't announced himself, and this strange man had come up to him when he was sitting by the pool and said, would you like to, get, would you like to get better? And then he'd done it, and he was, here he was, all healed. And he had no clue who Jesus was. Jesus had done a sort of a ninja miracle, sort of gone in, healed him, and gone out again, and sort of snuck away, and didn't want to cause a big scene. Because really, realised just that he wanted to get the attention of just this one man. He didn't want the crowds, he just wanted this one person to come um, and be touched by Jesus. Okay. So let's really go to the, this, the main bit here in verse 14. But afterwards Jesus found him in the, the temple and told him, sorry, he found him in the temple. And you see, Jesus goes 
and finds this man because he wants to follow up with him. He wants to come and deal with this person on the inside like he wants to do with us. That Jesus is not interested, or sorry, that's not the wrong phrase, that Jesus is not here to just come and deal with all our outside problems. He's come to deal with us on the inside. And he goes to find this man, just like in the beginning, in that, at the start of the story, that he sees this man, as that he knows him, and he goes and finds him, and he finds him in the temple, where the man would have been probably for the first time in, 38 year, in over 38 years, would have gone to the temple to worship God. And so he talks to him and tells him, now you're well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. See, he'd healed him to get this guy's attention so that he could then say this next thing to him. This is what Jesus really wanted to do with this man, is to come and share with him and say, look, come, stop sinning, get yourself right with God, or something even worse is going to happen to you. So he warns him, and he challenges him, really, to come and sort himself out, or something even worse than what happened to him is going to happen. Now you think about that. That guy had been sick for 38 years. That's such a long time. He would have had nothing um, to show for, nothing to show for him. No, um, well, he couldn't have gone back to work or anything like that. What could be worse than, um, than the, what he went through? And we could think about our lives, and we could think of all the worst-case scenarios about how bad our life could be. But Jesus is telling him, look, hang on a sec. There's something more important here. You've got to stop sinning, or something even worse is going to happen to you. And so, as I said at the beginning, we're all going to stand before Jesus in judgment. And you're going to be judged for everything we've, we've done. And only one or two things is going to happen. And Jesus wants us to be welcomed into heaven. Wants to come and welcome us with open arms. Um, now, if you read the rest of chapter 5 you'll see that Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders and he starts to tell them about him and God. and About really he's staking his claim that he is the son of God. And he talks about how him and the father work together over everything and that him and God are one. And how they do everything without, with the knowledge that, um, of, so they're doing everything together in the knowledge of what each and every one of so both of them are doing. And it said, Jesus says this in verse 21 to 22. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. And that he's saying here that God's given me the authority to come and give life and to come and judge. And, that we're gonna, um, and so we've got a choice that we can come and choose life and choose to go to um, heaven with Jesus, or we can have the choice to not choose Jesus' life and instead go to hell. And it follows up in verse 24. I tell the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus and we accept him as our saviour, we are able to stand before Jesus blameless, and that we'll be welcomed into heaven. And we have that life of Christ within us. Not just touching us, but in us. And changing us from the inside out. And this is exactly what Jesus wanted for this man. He wanted him to experience the life of Jesus. You see, and here's what he wants for us this morning. He wants us to be right with him. He wants us to give up our sin. 
to let it go, to it's great what Miriam shared, of how she had to come to a place of where she had to give it to God. And that's what, God doesn't want our excuses, all the reasons why we are like we are, or this, this is like it is. He wants us to come to him, to repent, and to find the freedom that he has. Um, a bit later in John's chapter 8, it talks about how we could be free of sin, and because Jesus has that power over it. Um, and it says here, I tell you the truth, anyone who is sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Amen. And we could be free, whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever decision, whatever you are in life, if you have a difficult, you may think it is, if you bring it to Jesus, Jesus can set you free. And it's great to said here, Miriam's testament, how God is working in our life. And it's amazing how we just sometimes give it to God and almost instantly he starts to work. And he's just crying out, come to me, come to me. But the thing is, if we don't, if we don't let God take it, if we don't give our sin to him, it becomes, just this little sin can just become a wedge between him that drives us, that separates, starts to separate between us and God. And we start heading in the wrong direction. And Jesus, that's not Jesus' heart for us at all. You see, Jesus has been challenging me recently about something in my life. And it's about money. Now, um, I don't uh, love money. I don't have a problem like that. But I probably like most of us here, I quite like money. I quite like having money. And not that, I, not that we're flashy people. I want lots of money. Uh, my career has never been about making as much money as possible and doing things like that. And we're not flashy people. You won't see us on Facebook posting pictures of our annual trip to Barbados um, and you won't um, see us drive up to church in a brand new BMW. Um, and you won't see us, or you won't hear me talking about, how my, my, about my new four grand bike that I've bought, or our 60-inch ultra-high definition telly we have at home. We're not flash people. But there are things in life that I, and, and, and me and Alice, like to spend our money on. And we, at the moment, we're in a financial position where we're quite comfortable. And I like, I like that. If I'm being honest, I like it. And uh, God recently has been challenging me to say, well, what happens if I change your financial situation and you didn't have a bit of spare money? What would you do then? And if I'm being honest, my immediate answer was like, really, Lord? No, I don't want to do that. But I've been coming to this place that I've had to choose between God or my money and my comfort with having that. And I've had to say, well, well, what's more important? And, and I'm not saying I'm completely there yet, but I'm working through with God because I don't want this to become a wedge my money to become a wedge between me and God. I know that God wants to take me on. And I'm not going to, I'm, no, I'm going to have to give it up, my money, and just say, well, God, you might make us penniless, but I know you'll look after me, and I'm going to trust in you. And God wants us to get right with him. Now, if we finish off by looking at the end of this passage, um, in verse 15, it says this, Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So Jesus has done this amazing miracle in his life and has come and, and, and challenged him, really. And this man, sort of, first thing he did was sort of run away and go and tell on Jesus. Um, and maybe he got scared about when Jesus came. It was all nice when Jesus just blessed him. But when Jesus said, hey, you've got to get, sort your life out, that's when he got scared. And maybe he liked his old life, liked um, all the things that he did, liked the sin that he was in. We don't know. And the truth is, we don't really know what happens to this man. It doesn't um, talk about him and the rest of the, the Bible. But we do know that he'll have to stand before Jesus again and answer for, for um, his life. And he's either going to have that life of Christ in him or he's not.
And so let's, so we're going to have some time of, to respond to God. Where if you know that God has been speaking to you, challenging you over something in your life, this is your opportunity to come and deal with it now. Um, and your chance to come and do business with God. And don't leave this building this morning knowing that you've got something still nagging at the back of your head, that your conscience is sort of prickling you, saying, well, you, you need to sort this out. You're saying, no, I've got this really good reason about why that is like it is. Jesus isn't interested in that. He wants us to come to him and give us our sin and find the righteousness that he has for us. Find that life that Jesus wants to give us. And so we're going to come and have that time of response now. Um, and so let's, let's close our eyes. And let's open our hearts to God. And, and talk to him. And if there's something you know they're saying you need to, whether, whoever you are, it doesn't matter whether you know Jesus and have been a Christian for 40 years or whether you don't even know him. It's your opportunity to come and get right with him and know that you are going to be fit for heaven and you'll be blameless to stand before Christ. The truth is we don't know what's going to happen in our lives, but we know the only thing we can do is put our trust in Jesus.